Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Wanted to give you a quick update on our building as you're... uh, Probably wondering what all is going on. Uh, most of the construction is completed uh, in the daycare. The uh, canopy is up. The new entrance and lobby and elevator, that should be by the end of the month or of, De- of November or beginning of December. That should be uh, operational. We're going to let you know when they're actually putting the steeple on because people like to see the steeple being put on. So uh, uh, we'll let you know well in advance uh, when that's going to be. And uh, we'll try to uh, get you to know that. So all that will be done by the 1st of December, end of November. And uh, then the church voted at our last business meeting uh, to uh, do a chapel down on the lower level in the old uh, atrium area that was just open. And that'll begin sometimes in the first of the year. So a lot of things still going on. Uh, Again, this time last year, we were meeting in the gymnasium. And so uh, we made a lot more progress than uh, you may have thought. So uh, things are going really, really well. Uh, so take your Bibles out, turn over to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. I was reading something in the paper this week uh, that was funny. There was a guy with some friends uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's 40 years old. Now, at 40 years old, you think you're, you're hopefully growing up a little bit. Uh, they decided to go out and eat at a place called Primanti Brothers. Anybody ever been to Primanti Brothers? Very famous uh, played none of you uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, thank you. Back back there. Yeah, uh, they were going to, to eat there. The guy had forgotten his wallet, but he told his friends, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. I don't want any of your money. So at the end of the meal, uh, the guy tried to sneak out the back door. Uh, but he was caught trying to sneak out the back door, was told to come back in. So he went back to his uh, table. They said, uh, are you going to pay? Do you have the money? What's going on? He said, yes, I'm going to pay. He then got out his cell phone and called in a bomb threat on Primati Brothers so that they would clear the restaurant and he wouldn't have to pay. But when the police showed up, his caller ID had showed up at the police station. So they knew it was him. When they identified him, he tried to run out the door and got tased by the police and arrested. Now, I tell you all this because the guy's 40 years old. I would hope by 40 years old, you're not acting like a middle schooler any longer. Wait, my apologies to all the middle schoolers who are over there. You wouldn't do anything like that, uh, I'm sure. But hopefully you're growing up a little bit. You're maturing a little bit. You're not calling in bomb threats and trying to run away and, and things like that. Well, what we're going to look at in our scripture day over in Philippians chapter 3 is that sometimes when it comes to this world, we have this view of life and of the world that really isn't the way that it is. And we have a hard time really coming to grips with the world in which we live. But it's time we grew up, got a little bit of maturity and looked at the world through uh, the eyes of God and, and the place we really live and to see what we can do. Uh, to have the best possible life God intends for us to be. So we'll go over to Philippians chapter 3. The first thing we see is this. God wants us to have joy, but the way we seek it will never break us contentment. God wants us to have joy, but the way that we're trying to get joy in life seldom, if ever, brings true happiness and true joy. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. 
He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write this same thing to you again. It's a safeguard for you. And so he begins by saying, hey, look, yes, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, God wants you to have joy. God wants happiness in your life. He wants those things for you. Now, God's goal for your life isn't for you to be happy. But God does want you to be happy. God does want you to get the best that you can get out of this world in which we live. But the things that we seek to bring us that happiness seldom work. Look down to verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, he's talking about a religious thing here that has to do with circumcision. There were some people in Paul's day and age that said in order to be saved, you needed to be circumcised. And they thought that by following that, that law and regulation from the Old Testament, by doing exactly what, the, what they were supposed to do, that they would get in good with God, and therefore that would bring joy and happiness. Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. In verse 3, he says, It is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, that last, uh, that last little phrase there is the one I want to look at for a second. Put no confidence in the flesh. We often try to find happiness and joy in life through the flesh, through the things of this world, and we think those are the things that are going to make our world better. So what are the things that we use to try to find happiness and fulfillment in this world? Well, we say things like, okay, I'm going to try to find it through things, through my house, through having a lot of money, through my car, something like that. Things, possessions are going to make me happy. Has anyone here ever seen a really rich person that was miserable? Uh, of course you have. We all have. Having a lot of money doesn't mean your life is good or bad. It does mean maybe you can get some things that can bring you some joy and give you some pleasures in life, but it's not going to be the ultimate fulfillment. In the long run, they're still just things. Some people try to then find fulfillment in life through relationships. And we think, well, somehow by my relationship, uh, it's going to give me everything I want in life. And so we pour everything we have into our marriage. And you think, well, that's not a bad thing uh, to center on my marriage when it comes to this life. But the fact of the matter is, in the long run, something's going to happen. Either you or your spouse is going to die. Uh, uh, sometimes relationships break up and there's divorces. I've known people who, when their spouses passed away, they had no reason to live any longer. And they only lived a month or two after their spouse. And they passed away because their whole life was wrapped up in being the spouse of that individual. Or we pour everything we have into our children. And we think, okay, my whole life is about my children. And then your children grow up, they move away, they're not there any longer, they might not even live in the same city that you do. I know couples who suddenly have had to try to figure out who they are in their relationship because their whole relationship was built around their children and now their children are no longer there. I know couples who have gotten divorced after their children left home because they just didn't know anybody, each other anymore. And they didn't know how to deal with each other because the children were always there. Or so we try other things then. You know, we try things like, well, maybe it's going to be pleasure. And so we try partying and having a good time. And then we wake up and all we have is a hangover the next morning. But it didn't give us the pleasure that we wanted in life. When we seek things through the flesh, it's never going to give us what we're seeking. So God wants us to have joy, but we're never going to find it through the things we're seeking it in. Albert Einstein realized that. Einstein, not exactly a, 
a, a great godly person, but somebody who kind of struggled with the whole concept of God. But I don't know if you saw it. There was a thing in uh, his handwritten note about happiness and life. Anybody see that in the paper this week? Uh, got a picture of that right for you. That's in German. So if you don't read German, you're not going to make it out very well. Uh, somebody read that for me that reads German. Can someone? Okay, so we have no idea what his happiness in life was about. So let's go on then if nobody reads German. No, what the note says is this. This is his key to a happy life. A calm and humble life will bring happiness, but the pursuit of success will only bring constant restlessness and you will never find it. I find that kind of interesting. Being calm and humble will bring you happiness, but a constant searching for success only makes you more restless and you will never find it. So even Einstein seeing the things of this world will not bring us what we want. So that's the first thing that we see is that God wants us to be happy, but we're seeking happiness in all the wrong places. So if that's the case, then the question needs to be, then where do we find happiness? And that's the next thing that we see. We need a more mature understanding of life. When it comes to life, what are things we need to know about this world and how you live it? And we're going to look at five things this morning that have to do with this world, how we live it, and how they bring happiness in life. And the first is this. True happiness centers around your relationship with God. True happiness is going to center around your relationship with God. Go back to verse 1 again. Yes, God wants you to be happy, but what does verse 1 say? Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't just say rejoice or God wants you to be happy. It says joy and happiness is going to be found from your relationship with the Lord. Then he says, it's no trouble for me to write this to you again. It's a safeguard for you. So one of the safeguards for your life is to understand that true joy is going to come from your relationship with God and not from the things of the flesh. So if what we're seeking happiness in are the things of the flesh, like Einstein said, all it's going to be is restlessness. You're never going to find it. You're always going to feel like there's something missing. True joy comes from your relationship with the Lord. And when you realize that, it becomes a safeguard for you. It's something that protects you because you're not looking for joy and fulfillment and purpose in in life from things that will never give it to you. And so it becomes a safeguard against those things. He goes on and he makes that point even more down into uh, verse 7. Verse 7. Turn down there. He says in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So he's saying his relationship with Christ is greater and more fulfilling than everything else. He said all these things that everybody else said you needed, your home and your car and your nice job and and, and pleasure and all of those things. He said, I consider them all a waste of time and garbage when it pales in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. So he's saying, if you want to be happy in life, it's going to begin to center around Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's going to be about your relationship with God and from that relationship with God, your relationship with other people. You know, over in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the whole Bible? And he said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law and prophets. 
So if you want to know the secret of being happy in this world, it's going to center around those two things. First, knowing and being in relationship with God. And from that relationship, knowing and loving and being in relationship with other people. If you want a stronger marriage, the strongest marriages are going to be when you get yourself right with God and in relationship with God, and then God helps through your relationship to make your marriage stronger. If you want a better relationship with your children, it begins with your relationship with God. God wants the best for your family, but it's what you center on first that's going to count. So it's loving God, loving people. When we get that, it begins to make all the difference in the world. And we begin to see, hey, the things that are going to make me happy aren't, aren't how big my house is or whether I've got all the gadgets uh, uh, at home on all of my products. But what's it going to be like with the people? What kind of relationships do I have with people? What kind of relationships do I have with God? You know, at the end of their life, nobody ever sat down and said, gee, I wish I'd have spent a little more time at work. Nobody ever says that at the end of their life. What they say is, I wish I'd have spent more time with this person, or I wish I'd have told this person I was sorry, or I wish I would have forgiven that person. That's what we talk about at the end of life, because we finally begin to understand what's important. You know, uh, there was an interesting story I read this week out of Atlanta, Georgia. There's a guy they call the ICU dad, and he's in the uh, infant ICU. And what he does is he comes and he rocks the babies uh, when the parents aren't there. I got a picture of the ICU dad right there. And there was story after story of parents just in tears saying, you know, we live a couple of hours away and we can only come two or three weeks, uh, two or three days a week to, to see our baby. But to know he's there every day rocking our baby and loving our baby makes all the difference in the world. So there's a guy that figured out that true joy and happiness comes from something a little bit different than the world tells you it does. It comes from relationships, the relationship with God, and then your relationship with other people. So that's the first thing. True happiness centers around relationships, and the main relationship is your relationship with God. The second thing in developing a more mature understanding of this world and the way that it is, is to understand that you don't live in a perfect world, and everything isn't going to go the way that you want it to. This life will have its ups and downs, but we should be maturing and getting closer to God. So when you look at this world, the rose-colored glasses, the things we grow up with is this. If I live a good life, and if I do the right things, then good things will happen to me. And then good things don't happen. Bad things happen. Things get worse in our lives. And you say, well, what did I do that was wrong? I dated a girl in college one time that uh, I picked her up for a date and she had a big knot on her forehead. And I said, what happened to you? And she said, I was rushing to get ready and ran into the bathroom door and got this big knot on my forehead. And then I sat down and thought, what did I do bad today that God caused me to get a knot on my forehead? And I said to her, well, that's not very good theology. If God gave you a knot on your forehead, every time you did something bad, your whole head would be filled with knots, you know? (laughs) That was one of our last dates, by the way. I, I, don't under, I, I don't understand what happened there, but that, whatever, you know. It all worked out better in the end, Dawn, I can tell you, I can tell you that right there. You know, it certainly did. So, you know, this idea that if you do good, you're going to have a good life, you're not going to have any problems, that bad things come when we mess up and God's trying to get us. Well, what a terrible view of life that is. But the more mature view uh, is something completely different. If you think you're never going to have any problems in your life, uh, that everything's always going to go well, as long as you're doing good, it's going to go well for you, I wonder what book you're reading because it's not the Bible. Because you look at the great people in the Bible, 
man, they went from problem to problem. Uh, some of the greatest people in the Bible were people that had severe depression. Uh, people like Moses and Jeremiah and Elijah. Uh, Elijah prayed that God would just kill him because he didn't want to live anymore because he was so miserable. Uh, you look at all of the problems and troubles that came to the people, not because they weren't being good, but because this is not a good or perfect world. And the Bible tells us that over and over again. Uh, in Matthew five we we're told it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, what does that mean? It means if it's raining outside and you go out without an umbrella, you're going to get wet. It doesn't matter if you're a good person or not. When it rains, you get wet. Good or bad. We're told uh, over in the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. And then we sit back and we think, why do I have trouble? Well, you've just been told in this world, you'll have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. This is not a perfect world. You live in a fallen world. This is not the planet God created it to be in the Garden of Eden. Hurricanes, tornadoes, all of those things come because we live in a world that is fallen. You are a fallen person. You mess up and do things that are wrong. You live among fallen people. Every person in this room is a fallen person. You're not the person God intended in the Garden of Eden. And you know you're a fallen person. You struggle with your own insecurities and your own failures and the things that you do that, that you just you get frustrated with. Why did I do that again? Why did I say that? Why did I behave that way? Because you are fallen people in a fallen world and you have an enemy that is opposing you. And then we wonder why we have problems and troubles in this world when basically, as I've said earlier, you were born in a war zone. And so the more mature understanding of this life isn't that everything's going to be okay and that no problems are going to hit you, but that you live in a world that has problems and troubles, but you have a God that's greater than any problem or trouble that comes upon you. Look down to verse 9 of our scripture passage. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is in faith in Christ, that righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. So if you want to get through this world, it's not what you're doing and your power and your resources to make things better and your life right. It's through God and his power and his resources. So the answer to the problems and troubles of this world isn't that God makes them disappear. It's that God is there to give you help, encouragement, and strength when the world isn't perfect. That's a more mature understanding. Instead of the next time something bad happens, you're thinking, why did this bad thing happen? Where is God? Doesn't he love me? You think, we live in a world where bad things happen. God's now there to help me through this bad thing that's happened in my life. That's the more mature understanding of life. And the older you get, the more you should be able to rely upon God, his resources, and to understand this world isn't perfect, but God's there to help you through it. Every once in a while, when my kids were home, we would have conversations at the supper table over things like, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? Anybody ever have those discussions? Not one person. Thank you. Thank you. I worry about you all. Uh, thank you. I really worry about you. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's a different subject, too. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it that way. So we have that discussion. Dawn would never participate much and she thought we were acting strange and things like that. So, you know, we're going to take over Costco and the hospital and Cabela's because you got everything you need all there in one, you know. But to get there, we are going to take over Jeannie McClure, our children's minister's minivan. 
because she's got everything you can want in that minivan. She has every resource, food, uh, uh, clothes, uh, medical supplies. And so we're going to steal Jeannie's van. Now, Dawn says to us, why are you stealing Jeannie's van? Shouldn't you just go with Jeannie? To which my daughter, Alyssa, says, obviously, Mom, you're not going to survive the zombie apocalypse. You know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. You know, you're not getting it, you know, here, here at all. So, you know, but how do you get the resources to survive when the world goes crazy? Steal Miss Jeannie's van. You know, that's it. Well, what I'm trying to tell you here is that the way you survive in a world that isn't perfect is knowing that you have a God that loves you and walks through the valley with you. It's not thinking problems aren't going to come, but you have a resource when those problems come. That brings us to the third thing that we see for a more mature understanding of life in this world. And that's this. We need to strive for the prize that is ahead and not be looking backwards. Strive for the prize that is ahead and not be looking backwards. Look down to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to make hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul compares the Christian life to a, to a marathon race. And in a marathon race, you don't run at constantly looking back at where you've been because then somebody passes you. You always look forward to what is ahead, straining towards the finish line in your run. And Paul says that's the attitude we need to have in life. That instead of looking back and saying, look where I've messed up and how bad it was, or, or those were the glory days, I wish we had them now, why are they bad today when it was good yesterday? To realize that you have a prize, that God loves you, that there is a better world than this to come. And you are trying to do things, he said, to strain to get to the finish line. And when I think about what that means for a more mature life, I think it means that for each of us, as we look at our life, it is, are you growing and maturing and becoming more of what God wants you to be? Now, the truth is you're never going to be totally mature until you get to heaven. We're always going to have things that, that, that bother us and failures that we have and things that don't work in our lives, but you should be getting better. You should be closer to God and living a life of, of, of loving God and loving others more today than you were a year ago. Now, there's going to be constant up and downs, but where were you a year ago and are you closer to God today than you were a year ago because that makes all the difference in the world. Are you growing and maturing? This life isn't about being perfect and never messing up. It's about getting better and closer to God as you go through it. I was uh, reading a, a People magazine this week where I get a lot of my great news uh, that's out there because you know there's no fake news in People magazine because they have real researchers for that thing, you know, that's it. So I was reading People Magazine, and they, they were talking to Matt Damon about a movie he's in called Suburbicon or something like that, and George Clooney was the director. And they said, uh, well, how was Clooney as a director? And Matt Damon said, it was interesting because he's really grown up. And they said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's been such a kid for 50-something years, but now he's married and now he has two babies, two twins, and he was like, it was like talking to an adult for the first time since I've known him. 
So growing and maturing and becoming more what we're supposed to be. That's what the Christian life is about. Not thinking you're ever going to be perfect in this world because you're not. A fourth thing that helps us as we go through this world, a more mature understanding of this world. In this world, there will be opposition to you in the way that you live. There will be opposition to you and the way that you live. If you think, okay, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to love other people. I'm going to try to do what God says and be forgiving and patient and caring. Don't think everybody you're going to forgive is going to accept your forgiveness. Don't think everybody that you're patient with isn't going to try your patience because it will happen. Don't think just because you're being a good person, people won't spit back in your face. It's not always going to work out perfect. There will be opposition to what you do, what you say, and what you believe. Look down to verse 17 of our scripture, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. If you wonder why you're going to have opposition when you're just trying to help people and be good and you seem to get slapped in the face every time you do it, that very last phrase is is the whole thing behind it. Look back there again and and see that uh, down in uh, verse 18 very end of it. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 19. Their mind is set on earthly things. If your mind's set on heavenly things, if you're trying to be loving and forgiving and compassionate and patient and caring and helpful, and their mind is set on earthly things, and they're worried about getting their own and getting ahead and stepping on other people to get whatever they need, then all you're doing is getting in their way. And so don't think when you start talking about spiritual things and trying to do things that are good, people are just going to accept it and everything's going to go well in your life because it doesn't work out that way all the time. You're going to have opposition. You'll have opposition from other people who don't view the world the way that you do or just want to take advantage of you when you're viewing it that way. You're going to have opposition from your enemy, the devil, who's going to constantly be after you. And yet you have to do what you think is the best and the right and the most loving thing to do in each situation, whether people respond or not. Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say you weren't going to have enemies. He said, love your enemies. He said, be kind to those who persecute you. He didn't say you wouldn't be persecuted. He said, when you're persecuted, be kind to those who persecute you. It's a different way of looking at life, but don't think it's not going to happen. Don't think, well, I'll never be persecuted or I won't have any enemies or I'll be nice and everybody will be nice back to me because it doesn't work out that way. But in the long run, you do what you think is best. And if you look at this world and you look at what Christians do in this world and compare it to the rest of the world, my goodness, look at what we're doing. The hospitals, the, the, uh, uh, the, the nursing homes, the feeding programs. After the hurricane, who are the two main groups uh, that were working after the hurricane? The Red Cross. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Red and cross. That's kind of Christian symbols there. You know, Christian group. And, the, and the Southern Baptist feeding units. They were the two main people that were out helping. Where was the, the uh, atheist cross or something like that? I didn't see that there. Where was the agnostic feeding, feeding program? You didn't see those out there. You just do the best that you can in the world and you expect that there's going to be opposition. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. 
One day in heaven, we will be all God intended for us to be. But we need to have a more mature understanding and realize that this world will never be perfect and it's not your home. Look at verse 19, or verse 20, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, okay, this is the more mature mindset. The more mature mindset is this world isn't my home. I'm not going to ever find fulfillment ultimately in this world. My citizenship is in heaven and I'm awaiting a savior, a savior of all the stuff that's gone wrong. All of my problems and health problems and relationship problems and sin problems, all of the things that go on with a fallen world and fallen people. I'm awaiting a savior for that the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, I think this is really important. The main thing about heaven isn't that you don't die, okay? That's what most people think. Okay, when I die, God raises me from the dead. Woo, glad I got that one. You know, I'm gonna get raised from the dead. That's not the main thing about heaven. The main thing about heaven is that you become transformed to being the person God intended for you to be in the Garden of Eden. Look back to verse 21 again, the end of that. He will transform our lowly bodies into like his glorious body. All the times you sat around and said, man, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. That's not right. That, that's unfair. Uh, people shouldn't get old. People shouldn't die. These things shouldn't happen in our world. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have this battle with depression. My body shouldn't be falling apart. Suddenly you become transformed into everything God intended for you to be. And that's our ultimate goal is to realize in this world, God wants us to have happiness. He wants us to enjoy the pleasures of it. But our ultimate home isn't this world. And if you lay all of your marbles in this world, you're never going to be happy. And you're never going to achieve everything that you want to do. And to begin to understand it's about loving God, loving others. That's what it's truly all about. Interesting story in the paper this week out of Atlanta, Georgia. There was a 92-year-old man who went to a bank in downtown Atlanta and he was trying to cash his check. But the bank wouldn't cash it because his ID had run out the week before and so they said it wasn't a valid ID. The man really didn't understand. They tried to talk to him about it. He started to get more and more upset and said, no, I need this to buy my food and to pay for my rent. And they said, sir, it's not a valid ID. You've got to get out of line. He said, what am I going to do? How am I going to get money if I don't have an ID? And so they called the police on him. The police officer shows up and says, what's the problem? And they said, the man doesn't have a valid ID. It's a week out of date. The police officer said to the teller, look, it's obviously the guy. You know it's him. It's a week out of date. Why don't you cash a check? She said, I can't do that. It's bank policy. The manager comes over and says, we called you to get this guy out of here. Okay, that's what you were supposed to be doing. So the police officer said, fine, I will. So he takes the man and he drives to the DMV. He goes into the DMV and he walks to the front of the line as a police officer and, uh, you know, with a uniform. And he says, I've got somebody here that you need to wait on next and give him a valid ID. They did that. He then took him back to the car, walked to the bank, walked back up to the front of the teller and said, this man now has an ID and I expect you to cash his check. She did. He then took the man shopping for his groceries and took him back home. Now, when I hear that story, and I got a picture right here of him taking him shopping uh, afterwards for his groceries. 
When you hear a story like that, that police officer is someone that has understood this life isn't about things. It's, it's about people and relationships and caring for others. And when life becomes about loving God and loving people, you'll find the happiness in life that you're never going to find through the things of this world. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you want us to find happiness in this world. It's not built around the things that we seek it in. It's built around something so much more important, dear Lord. So help us to seek that happiness that comes from loving you and loving others. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.